Bibles tonight to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. The Lord God of Elijah. And the journey continues. Chapter 2, verse 1. I'll speak tonight about crossroads. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elisha went with the, Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. That's polite for shut up. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing, nevertheless, if thou wilt see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven." And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood with the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. This is the story of two preachers. 
One is in the twilight of a, of a very eventful and exciting ministry, and the other is a young plowboy who left the farm to become a servant to the prophet. I love the part that Elisha's training was not received by formal education, but by following a man who was actually doing the job. In other words, he learned by doing, not just listening to sermons. I believe that in education, don't misunderstand me, I, I believe you ought to, especially if, if you've surrendered to preach and I think a preacher ought to learn all they can in regards to not just the Bible, but in regards to things that will help them in the ministry. Whenever I was saved, I lived in Springfield, Missouri, the home of the Baptist Bible College. I mean, in one sense, nobody had a better opportunity to go to Bible college than I did. I mean, it's right there on the doorstep, and I'm not going to go into all of the reasons that I didn't go, but for one thing, I had three kids at that time, and uh, that no doubt played a role in it. I had to work, had to put bread on the table for them, and and so I determined that, that, that I was going to learn. I was going to get prepared. So for three years, I did not watch any television for three years, other than on New Year's and right there, I watched two or three football games. So other than that, that was all the TV. Every night when I would get home, if I was not down at the church, and, and I was down there every time there was something going on, uh, I spent my time studying. Sometimes I'd study up to 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and just trying to get a hand. I'm dumber than most people. I mean, you probably figured that out, but if you haven't, I'll tell you, it takes me a lot more work than it does some people. But I worked at it. Now, what I'm trying to say is, is that during that three years that I spent there preparing myself, it was basically learned by doing. And you've heard me tell about my first Sunday school class, and I won't go over all of that, but I had to learn by doing. I didn't know anything, so during the week I would learn the lesson, and then I would teach it and hope they didn't ask any questions. Now, whether you go to Bible college or whether you don't go to Bible college, you've got to learn. Let me tell you, you can go to Bible college, and if all you get is the lectures that are given there, and all you do is assimilate that information, if you never put it into practice, it won't amount to anything. And I've seen that happen to Bible college students again and again and again. And, and, and as I've said, that's one of the easiest places in the world to get backslidden. Because every day, all day, you're there studying the Bible and uh, related uh, material and so forth, and a lot of them are so busy that, you know, they don't have time to do anything in the church, and, and consequently you mark it down. Those people like that never really end up doing anything for the Lord. Now, you don't have to be a preacher to profit from what I'm talking about here. It's true of every single one of us. The best way to learn anything is to learn it by doing. The word disciple means not just a student as we think of students. It means an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who takes what he is learning and he puts it into practice and he learns further by doing. 
And so Elisha, remember, is now the servant to Elijah. He's following him. He's ministering to him. He's involved in the ministry. He's not in the limelight. He's a servant to the prophet. Now, during this journey, you'll notice that there are four places mentioned. I've circled the names of these places in my Bible Verse number 1, there's Gilgal. Verse number 2, it's Bethel. Verse 4, Jericho. Verse 7 is Jordan. And so they come to four separate places, and in each instance this represented a crossroad, because in each instance both of them, but especially Elisha, had to decide, am I going to go on? Am I going to go any further than this? All of us are confronted daily with decisions that we must make. If we make the wrong turn, if we stop at the wrong place, if we listen to the wrong people, then we miss God's plan for our life. So every day, just like Elisha, and don't you, don't you love the way Elijah was dealing with him? In each instance, he said to Elisha, you stay here, I'm going on. And Elisha said, no, I'm going with you. And they get to the next place, and Elijah said, you, you just stay here and I'll go on. He said, no, I'm going with you. Now, notice these four places. And, and I'm going to try not to spiritualize this too much because some have done so. And it'd be real easy to just, you know, to get to really theorizing and spiritualizing and and get way out in left field on this. But notice the first place, verse 1 and 2, they come to Gilgal. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you and I, but it meant a whole lot to Israel. Because Gilgal represented the place of beginning. Remember, it's here the children of Israel first came when they left the wilderness. So this is their first place there at Gilgal. Now, had Elisha decided to stay there, he would have missed everything else. Had the children of Israel just got to Gilgal and said, well, we are here, we're finally out of the wilderness, but we're not going to go any further than this, they would have missed all of the blessings of the land of Canaan. Now, the beginning is glorious. Don't you know that they were rejoicing when they come out of the wilderness? Way down in the hills of Kentucky, there's a, there's a well, she would be a very elderly lady now, but a woman by the name of Myrtle, and uh, and I, I don't know how many kids Myrtle had. I'm telling you, she had a slew of them, though. I'm talking about a bunch of kids. I and and those kids could sing like you couldn't believe. We'd hold tent meetings down there in the hills, and we'd always have Myrtle and the kids to come and sing, and you. I can still see it. There's Myrtle sitting there with the guitar, and she's strumming the guitar. All of those kids all gathered around her, and I mean from little bitty ones to some of them, you know, up in their late teens, and they would, I mean, they'd sing the glory down. One of the, one of the songs they, they sang that was, I mean, they were known for, and churches everywhere would have Myrtle and the kids come and sing, and they sang a song, Out of the Wilderness. Up out of the wilderness. And uh, it would start out with just Myrtle and one of the kids there, maybe, and or maybe just Myrtle, but Myrtle and one or two of the kids, and they'd start singing the first verse. 
Now, I don't know how many verses there were to this song, but uh, there was enough to get all of the kids. And they start on the second verse, and here would come a kid down the aisle and join them. And they'd sing that verse, and then they'd start on the next verse, here come another kid, and after a while you got all of the kids there. And I mean, by the time they got all of the kids there, everybody was on shouting ground, and they were rejoicing up out of the wilderness. Can you imagine what that meant to the children of Israel? Up out of the wilderness. Finally, finally, we're in the promised land. But think about what they would have missed had they just stayed at Gilgal. We're just going to stay here. Now, there are three things associated with Gilgal. Number one is separation, because here you'll remember that Joshua was commanded by the Lord to circumcise the Israelites, and that was a sign that they were separated from the rest of the world. That is something that God instituted. It was showing them that you are to be different than the rest of the world, separated. And we've got to be separated unto the Lord if we're going to serve the Lord. But then there was satisfaction because here they kept the Passover and here for the first time they ate the fruits of the promised land. They're finally there at long last and they begin eating the fruit of the promised land. But then there was surety. Remember remember whenever Joshua, as he was facing, you know, this, this terribly difficult job of leading the children of Israel... And the Lord appeared to him there. You remember the story. The Lord of hosts appeared to him. And the Lord assured him of his presence and of his power. Now think about it. He is scared to death. And the Lord appears to him and gives him this wonderful assurance that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you there. Listen, think back to your Christian life. Those early days, the first days... and the excitement there was in your life. I don't know. Maybe somebody's here tonight and you think, well, it wasn't no big deal to me. Well, I'll tell you what, you missed something that that I didn't miss because I, I, I can't even begin to describe to you what it was like that, at that very beginning, that initial experience, and for months and months, and it was so exciting. I, words can't describe it. But listen, God never intended for any of us just to get saved and stay there. One of the things about Gilgal that you do not find is that there were no victories ever won at Gilgal. You don't read about anything associated with them winning victories over their enemies. And there are no victories in our life if all we do is get saved and say, this is as far as I'm going and no further. We miss out on a lot and we fail to win the victories, folks. And that's, listen, that's where a lot of people are today. They got saved years ago. They came to Gilgal, as it were, years ago, and they're still there. They haven't moved. They haven't budged. Now look at verse 3. They come to the second place here in verse 3. Elijah said, God sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said, I'm going with you. And again, this is a special place. It's special for at least two reasons. Remember, it was there that that uh, Jacob dreamed dreams. Remember, uh, well, you know the story. It was there that God met him. This is a holy place. He saw a ladder 
reaching up into heaven. Angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And there, you remember, that he wrestled with the Lord. And so it's a place associated with dreaming. But then Jeroboam comes along and Jeroboam begins to scheme how he can take control of Israel. And it's a place of dreaming, a place of scheming. And here they are. Now think about it. Here they are, Elisha following Elijah, determined that he's going to go as far as God leads him, and he's leading him through the leadership of Elijah, the man in charge. Wouldn't it have been terrible? And and mark it down, as a young preacher as Elisha was, he had some lofty ideals, no doubt about it. He might have thought he's going to change the world. He might have thought at least God can use me to change this nation. But there's some vision of success there. Some attitude of determination. But what if they had just stopped there? At this place of dreaming dreams and scheming schemes and they never move on any further than that. That's what a lot of folks have done. I knew a guy many years ago, one of the members of our church, he surrendered to preach. And I mean, after that, it was every week, all he did was tell me what he's going to do, what he's going to do, what he's going to do. He never did anything. He ended up getting a divorce some years later. And How sad. All he ever did was dream and scheme. And I've known a lot of people like that. That someday they're going to do this. Someday they're going to do that. Listen, start where you are. Don't just stop there at the place of just dreaming about what you're going to do. Get busy doing it right now where you are. You say, well, well, I've got to be somewhere else to do what I want to do. Why? If you want to get somewhere else... If God wants you somewhere else, God will put you there, but He's not going to put you there if you're not doing what you should where you are. So don't just sit back and dream. Move on. Now, verse number number 5 and 6, they come to Jericho. Now, everybody knows about Jericho because this is where Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? I mean, that's really a misnomer. Joshua didn't fight any battle. The Lord fought the battle and the Lord gave him the victory. But this is where he led the people to victory. And surely any Jew might have been tempted to just say, well, let's just stay here and reminisce. This is their first major conquest in the promised land. This is where God demonstrated His great power. Let's just stay here and we'll just think about the good old days. Well, you know people like that. They live in the past. They forget about the work at hand and all they want to do is talk about the good old days. I preached a revival meeting several years ago up in Kansas City and there was a fellow there that had been trained by J. Frank Norris and been a member of his church and gone to school there. And, and, and i, I got to tell you, it was as close as I've ever seen to somebody literally worshiping another human being. I've never seen anything like it. By the time that week was over, he almost drove me crazy about J. Frank Norris. I didn't hear much talk about Jesus, but I heard a lot about J. Frank Norris. And he'd literally sit there and cry day after day. Me and him sitting there at lunch, and we'd be talking, and here we go again on J. Frank Norris, and he'd start crying. 
good night. It had been 30, 40 years since he had been there with J. Frank Norris. And he's sitting around crying about it. A lot of folks just want to live in the past. Let me tell you, there ought not to be any retirement in the Lord's work. Now, don't you misunderstand that because there are times that because of our physical ailments and so on and so forth that we no longer can do what we used to do. I understand that. And by the way, the Lord understood that because when you go to the Old Testament and you consider the Levites and the work of the priests, there was mandatory requirement for, for retirement for them. So God knew that they were not physically able to just keep on and keep on and keep on forever. Well, maybe you can't do what you used to do. There are probably some of you who was involved in our bus ministry years and years and years ago, and mainly, mainly even before I came, it, I think it had more buses than then. We started getting rid of the buses and what have you. But we had some folks here, old Brother Gilbert Wood and uh, Jesse Patton and those guys visited every Saturday. I mean, from, you know, like 9 o'clock to noon, every Saturday they were out there. You know, what we do today, we say, well, you just can't get kids to ride buses anymore. Bus ministry is a thing of the past. You know what's a thing of the past? Because there's nobody out there hardly anymore from noon, from 9 o'clock to noon on Saturdays. That's the price you have to pay to get the job done. And you can't find anybody that wants to do that anymore. You're just kidding yourself if you think you cannot fill up vans with kids or buses with kids. It can happen, but you've got to work at it. Now, it's real easy for us to just look back and say, you know, I used to do that. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a has-been. And maybe you can't do that anymore, but there's something that we can all do for the Lord. There's work to be done for each and every one of us, folks. God has something that you can do if you're willing to do it. There's a way to serve the Lord, and you ought to get this thing of retirement out of your mind. You can retire from the factory or the office or whatever. That's fine. That's well and good. But don't you dare retire from God's work. Now, verse 7 and 8, they come to a place called Jordan. Well, we all know about Jordan, don't we? This is a place that, that is associated with death. Remember, whenever the children of Israel came up out of the wilderness and into the promised land, they had to cross Jordan. In other words, this is where the pilgrimage ended. And so by them crossing Jordan, it shows there was a clear break with their past. Now, if we really wanted to spiritualize this, we'd make the application that it was here that John the Baptist baptized those who made a break from the world. And it is really interesting, it was here that Jesus Christ Himself began His earthly ministry. And it was here that multitudes were buried in baptism, showing they had made a break from the world. Now, Here stands Elisha at the Jordan, and he's got to make a choice. Nobody is forcing him to cross over and enter into the ministry. He can remain on this side and pursue his own personal pleasures. Or he can cross over, die to self, 
and serve God. Now you see, folks, this story really is not so far-fetched from our situation as we might think. Because for us to be used of God, we've got to die to self. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, ask yourself this question and be honest about it. Have I done that? Can I actually say that I have died to self? Am I doing that? Am I dying to self daily? And to fulfill God's plan for our life, there's got to be that denial of self. We've got to take up our cross. We've got to follow Him. We need to stop thinking about the cross as some sort of an ornament that we worship and that we adore. It's not something we wear. The cross is an object of death. Jesus said, take up your cross. In other words, you've got to die. You've got to die. You can't have your own agenda. You can't do your own thing. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to forget about what you want and think only about what I want for your life. And we need to ask ourselves, have I done that? Am I doing that? Is that my lifestyle that every day that I'm denying my, myself those things that are contrary to God's will for my life? Am I willing to follow Him? Wherever Now, notice there's a very important phrase here in verse 11. They still went on. Having passed through those four places, it says, they still went on. Neither man stopped. Elijah didn't stop. He kept going to the very end. And may that be said of us, that we keep going to the very end. Because when God's through with you, you're out of here. That's it. I mean, it's all over. But until He's through with us, we ought to be busy in the things of the Lord. Elijah kept going. Elisha also kept going. And he followed his leader to the very end and then he assumed the ministry that God had for him. Now, I'm going to wrap all of this up by just asking this question. Where are you? Where did you stop? Maybe it was at Gilgal. This is the place of beginning. This is where you say, I might be. Is it at Bethel? This is the place of dreams saying, I'm going to be. Is it Jericho? A place of reminiscing where you say, I used to be, or is it Jordan where you died to self and you're saying, I will be? Where did you stop? Way back there at the beginning, or maybe you proceeded on, you got up to that place to where it was all about reminiscing and thinking about the years gone by and oh, how proud you are of what you did for God 10, 15, 20 years ago, but where are you today? Crossroads. And every day, folks, we come to crossroads. Make sure you don't quit. It's always too soon to quit. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's 
not in vain. It's not worthless. Steadfast and unmovable. Crossroads. And I'll tell you, Satan is an expert. When he sees that you're headed in the right direction, when he sees that you're determined to become all God wants you to be, he starts dangling the carrot. He'll do anything. I mean, I had job, after I surrendered to preach, I had job offers I never even dreamed about after that. And he almost tripped me up. You just determine, I'm going, to, I'm going to serve God regardless, and you watch out and just notice. Listen, persecution is not the only means that Satan uses. Probably in our day, more effective than persecution is prosperity. The old devil says, hey, I'll just let you prosper. Well, I'll give you this and I'll give you that. If you kind of reminds me of what he said to the Lord, right? You remember that there on the Mount of Temptation? He said, you fall down and worship me and I'll give you all of these kingdoms of the world. Now, he could, folks, because remember, he's the God of this world. He's the one that's manipulating and controlling the unsaved people here on earth. He said, I'll give you all of this. If you just fall down and worship me. In other words, if you'll just stop, if you'll stop doing what the Father sent you to do, I'll give you all of this. Now, if he offered that to Jesus, don't you think he won't make you an offer that's hard to refuse? Crossroads. I can tell you how many times I've seen people, that I mean, they loved the Lord, they were busy serving the Lord. I mean, they, they would have told you, I'm right where God wants me to be. God put me in this church, and, and boy, I know this is where God wants me to be. Six months later, six months later, they get, they get a job offer somewhere in Timbuktu out there, making maybe twice as much money as what they're making. And, and so they decide they're going to move, and there's not a church in a hundred miles, not a sound Bible-believing church, nowhere to be found, anywhere near them. And they move off and move out of the will of God out there. Why? For the almighty dollar. You say, I would never do anything like that. Well, you might not, because maybe money doesn't mean that much to you. But a rich uncle dies, and he's left you a place down in the hill country. Now, if we stay here, folks, I can finally, I can finally get to where you are, believe me. And so can Satan, because he knows what appeals to you. And he's going to make an appeal to you, trying to get you to stop short of that place where God wants you to be. Don't you do it. It's always too soon to quit. Keep going, as I said this morning. Just keep digging. Let's stand, please. Father, Maybe there's someone here this evening that, that stopped way back there somewhere in the past. They, they stopped. They had such a wonderful beginning. Things looked so bright. The prospect was so great. The dream so honorable. But some way or another they came to a crossroads and they never got on the right track. So, Lord, tonight speak, and may the Holy Spirit do His work in our hearts 
and that our lives might be affected as a result of it. Help us to see ourselves through your eyes. Help us to do whatever we have to do, even die to self, in order to be in your will. For we ask it in Jesus' name. As we stand together, we lift our voice in song tonight. Page 393. 393. And as we sing, maybe you just need to come and pray. Whatever it is, this is for you.